Today's text comes out of John 15, verses 1 through 8. It'll be up on the screen to follow along. Let's read it, and it's, I'll read it in its entirety. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. I want to welcome at this time uh, Josh Kelly. And for those that don't know Josh, come on up, Josh. Josh uh, and his wife, Marilyn, and their two girls have been attending our church for the last couple years. And Josh serves on our church council, and Josh pastored uh, in Mount Vernon. Yeah, in Mount Vernon. Yeah. And then actually in Burlington before that, I was an assistant p- pastor at his place. Oh, okay. Initially, so I was there yeah. for a while too. So. Yeah. So yeah. we're getting some, uh, some there. the Death Star is approaching. That's um, what it always sounds like to me. I'm a Star Wars guy. Uh, but uh, Josh, we're excited to have you here this morning and just continuing our series uh, of the I Am Statements of Jesus. And I did not prepare you for this. Da, 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 da. Can I ask you a few questions for those sure. of us that don't know you super Absolutely. well? Absolutely. Is that all right? Is that okay, I can't everybody? say no, really, can I? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, then, yes. Go ahead. You stuck. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Josh, what uh, we mentioned that you have two girls. What are mm-hmm. their names and what are their ages? Oh, man. That's getting tricky. No, uh, Grace and Sarah. Grace is 18. She just graduated this, uh, this last year, and Sarah is 16. So and both your wife, drivers. Marilyn, you guys have yep. been married for how long? We've been married for 22 years now. All right. Yeah. And you have uh, an exciting job that has just opened up over the last year. What do you do for work? Uh, I'm a freelance writer. And so mainly it's ghost writing, which means like there's people who like have a story they want to tell or uh, something in their life they want to share, and, but they haven't, don't have the experience of writing. So I help them write it. And after the long journey God's taken on me, I can't believe that I get to do this for a living. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's been, been a crazy journey, though. Yeah. So... Uh, speaking of journey, yes. you took your family on a cross-country journey a few years back. Yeah. Uh, did you hit every state? No, uh, 40 states. So this was... Um, 40. Which 40 states. Which did you leave out? Uh, Alaska, Hawaii, those are a little harder to drive to. And then a lot of the ones in the middle, North and South Dakota, Iowa, Oklahoma, and a couple others down, kind of down the center. But yeah, this was uh, after I'd been you know, full-time pastor at... Uh, the gathering, little church that used to be downtown Mount Vernon, and after we had to close it, then we're like, well, what are we going to do now? Um, let's sell our house and drive around the country for eight months. So we saw 40 states, two provinces, and Tijuana. Two provinces. Which part of Canada did you decide to go to? Uh, Ottawa and, Mont- uh, Ottawa and um, Quebec. Best food in Canada. you got to eat it. What is it? We didn't. We mainly ate at people's houses. So we had this, this one family that we stayed with. Uh, she was from somewhere in the Caribbean, and she made something that I have no idea what it was, but it was amazing. Okay. So it was that. It was highly recommended. 
this next great, this great little house outside of uh, next Montreal. Next time you're in Canada, just go to this lady's house, <laughs> ask for whatever she made Josh in Maryland, and it'll yeah. be great. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, let's see. A little bit fast facts about you. What is your hot drink of choice? Uh, a cold beer. <laughs> okay. You should have thought through asking me that, knowing what was my your other first job. Car? Uh, right Pon uh, Pontiac Le Mans, a Pontiac uh, 72 Mons. Pontiac Le Mans that was my great-grandmother's. Where did you graduate high school? Mount Vernon Christian. Uh, what, no, not what year. I'm not going to do that. 92. 92. When we said, you know, if you're 47, you know, for the legacy dinner, it's like, shut up, that's me. <laughs> Last week, you know, we were, the, this announcement's going on, I turn over to Sean and say, 50? That's three years from now. And he said, it's 14 for me. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sean. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, favorite thing to, uh, to watch on TV right now? Uh, I really enjoyed enjoying the Marvel miniseries thingies. Okay. Marvel miniseries. Series thingies, yeah. So Loki, WandaVision, and um, the other one. All right. That other one, whichever it was. What was it? I can't remember now. Yeah, that's it. Falcon the Winter Soldier. Those under 40 ones. got it for you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I heard these young little prepubescent voices <laughs> yeah. that came out. Uh, actually, that was my daughter that you heard. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. That's a young I'm female gonna, voice. I'm going to just insert foot into mouth. And, <laughs> and I'm just going to help shove it in there. Yes. I'm not going to make it easy for you. This is fun for me, too. You know. All right. Josh, I'm going to stop talking. Uh, Josh Kelly, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man, guys. Um, I'm so happy, so thrilled to have this opportunity to talk with you. This is just... Uh, you know, we, we've been through a long journey, especially having been a pastor and being a pastor at church is a very, very tight community um, and then have to watch that break apart um, through, you know, long story. You can ask me later if it's not that interesting, but it's hard to find a church home and having done that and to come here and find this home that from day one we felt accepted, but then it takes time, like any relationship, to really cement that and to have that coming in and aside, this isn't the sermon, but if you're part of this church, but kind of on the peripheral, and it's like, oh, it's, it's you know, showing church every day and, or every week and going to these events, it takes so much time, it's so much effort. It's an investment. It's an investment to have this community, and it is so worth it. Uh, yeah, sorry, end of sermon. I'm just happy to be here. I'm thrilled to be preaching to you, and that's where I was trying to say that. So, um, have you ever, you know, like when you're getting older, like me at 47, uh, and you have all these movies you enjoyed as a kid and as a teenager and uh, as an adult, and you can't wait till your kids are old enough to share them with your kids. You know, you can now share these movies with your kids and you show it to them, and it's a bust. So, like, I couldn't wait to show Monty Python and the Holy Grail to my girls. And I was so excited. And, like, yeah, that part was funny, I guess. Um, but the one that, that was a hit, and I was happy about this, was The Princess Bride. That one, actually, that, they enjoyed that one. And so I remember just a couple weeks ago, as I was working on the sermon, my daughters were, um, they on their own decided to watch it without me. And so I'm kind of working on the sermon. I hear it playing in the background. I'm listening to it. And there's this whole thing, you know, what's, what's the, the meaning of life? What, what, what is it that makes life worth living according to the Princess Bride? Answer me. What, what is that? True love. True love, right? That's what makes life worth living. Great movie, horrible theology right? Who love? Is that really our great purpose in life? Is that what your life is all about? Is if you can be one of those 
one in a million like, uh, the, like the, oh gosh, all these words, I guess it's because I'm 47, all these words are going out of my brain. The, lead, the male and female protagonists like them. It, you know, having love like them, is that like the, what makes life worth living? Is that everything? Man, I hope not, because how many of us miss that? You know, what, what if you're single? What if you, a broken marriage? All these things that life just doesn't go the way you want to go. Is that really our purpose? Or you look at, um, you know, uh, Sean asked me about what we've been watching, Loki, the whole Loki variant thing. I've loved it. But there's this whole theme in there about our glorious purpose, right? And there's this thing that the Loki is looking for is glorious purpose. And that's something in us that we get that we believe we have some sort of glorious purpose. And dear God, I hope that that glorious purpose is bigger than scrolling through Facebook, bigger than watching TV shows, bigger than as you wish. What is this glorious purpose that God's given us? And I believe that's what, God, what Jesus really is talking to us about through this passage today. So I want to kind of set the scene. You know, these Starbucks lids are kind of cool for spilling, but maybe hard to drink. Um, I want to set the scene when Jesus is saying this statement about, I am the true vine. Okay, so this is at the end of John, and what's happening is this is the night uh, that Jesus was betrayed. This is Thursday, Passover night. He's just had this, his, this last Passover meal with his disciples. This is the night where uh, Judas went out to betray him. This is the night that he washed the disciples' feet when he told Peter that you're going to deny me. It's also the night that he talked to his disciples to get them ready for what was coming, that he was going to leave them. He promises the gift, promises them the gift of the Holy Spirit and all, all these things. It's when he instituted communion that we now take once a month to remind ourselves of that night. And then the, the, he's preaching, he's talking about all this stuff, he talks about the Holy Spirit, and then he says that this one verse that seems a little odd, it's like out of nowhere, at the end of chapter 14, it says, come now, let us leave. Okay, so the picture that we get is that Jesus has been with his disciples in this upper room, and at one point he says, hey, let's go take, take a walk. And I want, to help, want you to kind of picture the scene where Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the true vine. So it's night in Jerusalem, Passover, first night of Passover is on the, first, on the full moon, so it's a bright night. And you know how those nights you've been out there walking when the moon is full and you almost you can't believe that it's nighttime? So you, they can see nearly everything, but it's kind of bathed in that, that bluish light. And they're walking along, they're going through all these terraced fields, and they're heading towards their favorite spot in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there would have been all these grapevines all along the way. And they would have been walking by these, all these grapevines. Now, Symbols, we have symbols that mean something to us, or symbols that mean something to us collectively as a, as a people. So if you see a bald eagle, what do you think of? America, yeah. It, it represents us, right? Well, when the disciples would have seen a grapevine, in their mind, that grapevine represented Israel. It represented us. Here's a picture of a coin from uh, this period of time, around 68 to 70 AD. So Israel had been conquered by the Romans, and they were uh, underneath Roman authority for all this time. Then in 68 AD, uh, they had a revolution, and it's short-lived because it's over by 70 AD. But they had a little bit of time to print their own coins. And what did they do? They put pictures of grape leaves on their coins. So the grapevine was an image of their country. 
And it's also something, you go back into the Old Testament, all these prophecies, it keeps on talking about Israel as a grapevine, as a fruitful vine. So also keep in mind, Passover is kind of like the Jewish 4th of July. Because if you remember some of the old stories in, in the Old Testament, in, in uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, in Exodus, this was when they were freed from Egypt. So imagine if we were in the U.S., but we were controlled by the Soviet Union, for those of you who remember the Soviet Union, right? Remember that, imagine that we were being controlled by another country, how the 4th of July would be more than just celebrating freedom. It would be kind of churning things up. It'd be, have you more eager and more anxious for the day that you'd be able to throw off these oppressors. That's how these, the, uh, Jesus' disciples are feeling that day. And when they see this grapevine in their head, like, it's like us seeing a bald eagle. They're like, that's us. We're supposed to be free. We're supposed to be fruitful. And so Jesus walks up to the grapevine, I imagine. I imagine him kind of, you know, fiddling with it, looking at it. And the disciples thinking, okay, finally Jesus is going to go all Messiah on us, and he's going to go beat the Romans up. And maybe that's what he's thinking. But then he starts talking. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make more fruitful. You are already clean because of, my, of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, imagine if we were to ask the disciples at that moment, what did they think fruit meant? What sort of images, what sort of ideas were going through their head as, as Jesus said, talking about them bearing fruit? Well, they're thinking about things like uh, them taking over, freedom, that, that Jesus is going to kick out the Romans, and that, they're gonna, that Israel is going to finally see God's blessings once again. That's probably about what they meant by fruit. And their whole idea of, of this fruit would have been very inward-focused. What's it going to be about us? What's this going to do for us, for me, for our nation? But God had already given Israel this glorious purpose that I've been talking about. He'd given, he'd given them their reason for being, what it was they were supposed to do to make a difference. And we get this all the way back in Genesis, when God's first talking to Abraham, the, the father of Israel. And the first time he talks to him to say, I want you to go take off, leave this land, and go to this land that I'll show you. He says to Abraham, he promises I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. That's the key thing. This was their glorious purpose. This was Israel's purpose, was not to kick out the Romans, but to bless the world. God had this whole plan. They'd been working ever since the fall back in Genesis that he was going to bless the world through Israel. So it's easy for us to sit here and read this and think about the disciples like, you guys are missing the point. It's not about getting rid of the Romans. It's not about political freedom. Your purpose, your, this fruit that you're called to bear is to be a light to the world, to, to be a blessing to the entire world. That's your glorious purpose. It's easy for us to think that, but we don't know the suffering that they suffered. We don't know the sort of things they went through when they watched family members being crucified by the Romans where they didn't have their basic freedoms. So I want to kind of be a little obnoxious. I can do that at times to kind of tweak the way we think a little bit. 
and think about what do we make our purpose? So, so the, the disciples were making their purpose all about kicking out the Romans having political freedom. What do we make our purpose? What do we think is the main thing life is about? To love? You know, having success, a nicer car, going up the ladder, keeping up with the Joneses? Um, or is it maybe being kind, you know, wag more, bark less, that whole sort of thing? Is this our glorious purpose? One of my clients, um, he, he works in customer service, and he was talking to me. Um, he works with uh, this, uh, this company that does, uh, sells those video games that you buy on your phone, and you spend, you know, it's free, and then you start a dollar here, two dollars there, four dollars here. Do you know that with most of those, like 80% of those, those games' incomes come from one or two people? There are literally princes in Saudi Arabia who have nothing better to do with your, their time than spend millions of dollars on those games so they can say, I am the best in the world at Candy Crush or whatever it is. That is what they spend their fortune on. Does that sound like a glorious purpose? Like what our lives are supposed to be like? Okay, now it's my turn to be a, a, a little more obnoxious. In light of God's glorious purpose for us as Christians... I don't think, and I'm going to get to both sides, so don't get too offended at one, because I'll get to you, the, everyone else on the other side. I don't think make America great is any better than down with the Romans in terms of this glorious purpose. It's not the sort of thing you should base your life upon. It's just in the same way, I think, you know, being wokeness, that's no greater of a purpose than down with the Romans. None of those are our purpose, are our glorious purpose. I'm not saying that political involvement is not important. It is. It is important to be politically involved. I'm not saying social justice isn't important. It is. But those are all a part of our bigger glorious purpose that we're going to talk about, that they have to be placed within this bigger purpose of glorifying God to the entire world. Something C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, talking about like involvement, political involvement, and these sort of things, basically said, if you aim for the kingdom of God, if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. So if you are making these changes in light of heaven, and heaven is your goal, and God is your goal, then you can change the world. But if you try to change the world just by aiming for the earth, you won't get anything. You won't get any of it. Um, so everyone a little offended, but maybe a little less offended. Like My point is not that we shouldn't be involved, but that those are not our purposes. So what is our real purpose? What is this true fruit that we were meant to bear? I want to walk, walk, it through, walk through it for a little bit. Grapevines. What are grapevines for? Not grapes. Exactly. Good. Not a trick question. What are grapevines for? They're for grapes. What do you do with uh, grapes? Wine. You make wine. Yeah, you eat it a bit, but especially in terms of a, in an agricultural society, you need to be able to preserve something. Wine is a way to preserve grapes. Did you know that in the Bible... Wine is just like the standard biblical imagery for joy. Standard biblical image, you talk about wine, that's an image, that's a symbol for joy. By the way, drunkenness is a symbol for judgment. So, you know, keep those straight. We're not talking about God saying being drunk is a symbol of joy. That's not the point. The point is that grapes, that wine, these are a symbol of joy. So here's the first thing I want to say. Vines bear fruit. Their purpose, their glorious purpose, vines bear fruit that brings joy. Okay. Hold that thought for a second. Now, we know I said already that vines equaled Israel. So God's divine purpose, his glorious purpose for Israel was to bless all the nations through them. 
But then Jesus, when he said, I'm the true vine, he's kind of flipping the script a little bit. He's saying, I'm the vine, not Israel, I'm the vine. Which means that he's taken Israel's place, and now we are connected to that vine, and now we take on that same mission. So vines bear fruit that bless the world. That's the second thing. Vines bear fruit that bring joy, but then also vines bear fruit that bless the world. So hold on to that second thought for a second. Now, at the end of the passage, it says, uh, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So, again, what's the vine's glorious purpose? Vines bear fruit that glorify God. By the way, this tells us what fruit is. Fruit are those things that glorify God. The things that we're supposed to bear are those things that glorify God. So, bringing this all together, this whole fruit, this whole glorious purpose, this thing God has for us is that we bear fruit through Christ that brings joy, blesses the world, and glorifies God. That's like the big summary there. If we go and uh, skip to the next slide, that's, that's kind of like the way of bringing this all together is our purpose is to bear fruit through Christ that brings joy, blesses the world, and glorifies God. You know, that's not such a bad job. The, the creator of this cosmos, the creator of everything you see, if you ever go out camping and see all the stars out there, the billions of stars see the beauty of the ocean, see the magnificence of God, reflect, God reflecting all the faces of humanity throughout this world, that God who made everything decides that he wants to know us and talk to us, and we get to be his representatives to the world? We get to bring his joy and his light to the world? That's actually a really cool job. That's an amazing, great purpose. I mean, can you do any better in terms of glorious, in terms of like the highest thing you can do? is like, we're representing God. Sometimes the longer you work, walk with Jesus, you kind of forget about how cool that is. I love talking to new believers. One of the jobs, I, uh, believers, one of the jobs I had was interviewing a bunch of new Christians to help put together this testimony book. And I'm talking to these guys who've been saved for a year or two, and I'm like, man, you're right. I forgot how cool this is. That God has changed the world. That God has changed me. That His Word brings life. It can answer all these problems in my life, and that it can show me my true purpose, and that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven, and all this cool stuff. I'm, I'm not. Suffer, don't have to suffer for my sins. And so this is what we get to do. We get to be, to bring the change of God, God's fruit to a lost and dying world. That's our glorious purpose. And I think that's a pretty amazing one. Okay, now, back to what Jesus said. He said, I am the true vine, the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. And then I'm going to skip a couple verses. I am the fruit, you are the branches. I'm sorry, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, this is a little bit of a downer. After everything I've just said, isn't it? Like, oh, picked up in the fire and burned. Ugh. Jesus is alluding to something in Ezekiel where it basically says, hey, if you have a vine, a grapevine, that isn't bearing fruit, what good is it? I mean, really, you can't do anything with a vine. You can't build with it. He says you can't even you know, make a peg out of it to put in the wall. Um, I guess you can decorate with it. Um, that's more of a modern thing to try and decorate with vines. But aside from that, a vine that doesn't bear fruit, about all it's good for is burning. That's about its only use. So, this time of year, when, when they're walking through these fields on that moonlit night, it was pruning season. 
So it's very easy to imagine that as Jesus is saying this, there's pruned vines all over the ground, just waiting to be picked up to throw in the fire. And so when the disciples hear Jesus say that, they're looking at the examples right there. So it's very vivid. I know where those branches are going, and I don't want to be one of them. Now, what Jesus is trying to do here, the point isn't, well, he's basically he's trying to confront people who thought that being a Jew was enough. That if you were a Jew, that you were in good standing and that you were good with God, and that was it. He's saying that's not it. You have to bear fruit. The lesson to us here is that being a cultural Christian is worthless. What do I mean by a cultural Christian? I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, we, I lived in Texas for a little while. My dad was with the Air Force, and we were stationed in Shepherd, at Shepherd's Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. And our neighbor, uh, he and I were talking, and um, he says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I, my mom told me I'm American, which means I'm a Christian. I think you may have missed part of the point of this whole thing, but this was his mindset. It's so easy to make being an American be being a Christian. Or I think of uh, much more recently, a couple years back, I was driving along, I'm stuck at a stoplight, and there's this big old truck in front of me, and it's got all the racing stickers and all that, and then it's got this big sticker that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's on this side. Then on this side is follow me to Hooters. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus would do, just so you all know. My, my point here isn't that, and Jesus' point here isn't, if you don't do enough, you're going to hell. The point is, if there's no fruit, if nothing's changed in your life, then maybe it was never really a thing. Maybe you actually never really became a Christian. I gotta I got explain this. So within the Jewish mindset, to say something meant that you believed it, it meant that you did it. There's a passage uh, in 1 Corinthians where Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, and no one can say Jesus be cursed unless they don't have the Holy Spirit, roughly is what it says. And when you first read that, I read that, think, well, anyone can mouth the words Jesus is Lord, but no, no, no. When Paul says to say Jesus is Lord means you really believe it, and it genuinely changes who you are. So the point here, again, isn't like you have to accumulate X pounds of, of fruit or else you're going to hell. It is evaluate yourself. Are you gen is Jesus genuinely Lord? Now, I, I trust this doesn't refer to any of us here, but maybe it does. You know whether or not your walk of faith is basically just these, these motions you go through, but you are still Lord of your life. You're still in charge. I'm going to let that one sit with you because you know, I'm not in the place where I can judge that. But Jesus is saying, is there fruit? Is there something happening in your life to show that you are a child of God? Now, the question is not, what's the minimum I have to do, right? Because that's not a question that's, that's not saying, what's, I can't wait to fulfill my glorious purpose. It's rather, how can I fully embrace this role God's given me? And so what does he say? How can we bear more fruit? Jesus makes two points. You read through it, you know, I'm going to skim a little bit. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning. Pruning is not just cutting off a bunch of branches for fun. It is very carefully selecting little pieces to cut off because they detract from having all the nourishment of the roots going into a couple careful branches that bear greater fruit. Um, Years ago, I uh, listened to a gentleman, uh, Graham Carr, if any of you know him, he used to be the Galloping Gourmet, and 
He's a great guy, a wonderful guy. He was talking about, he bought this house in somewhere or another, I don't know, Florida, and they had this grapefruit tree in the backyard, and it had this massive grapefruit growing. He's like, he thought, this is amazing. Look at the size of the grapefruit on this tree. So he got this massive grapefruit, put it in the fridge, let it chill, and then opened it up and took a taste of it, and it just tasted like dirty water. Well, there's so many grapefruits on this tree that none of them were receiving the, the full strength, the full nourishment. So he first tried to do some pruning, but then his friend who was a pruner said, whoa, you're just cutting stuff off. No, you do a little here, a little there. And it's very careful to direct the whole energy to growing great fruit. So in, this, in, in what Jesus is saying, who's the master gardener? Who's the pruner? Who's the one who does all the clipping? God, the Father, right? Yeah. It's very easy for us to look at our lives. I mean, does anyone, can anyone look at their life and within just a, like a second or two think of at least two or three things they'd love to be able to prune off? That I'd love to just be able to get rid of this, get rid of that. We all have things like that, right? And if not, then the thing you need to have pruned is your self-delusion, <laughs> right? But when we look at our lives and we want to like, start pruning, you know, and we think our motives are good, like, hey, yeah, we want to bear more fruit, so we need to prune all this stuff, but we tend to prune things for the wrong reason. We tend to be like Graham, just chopping off stuff. Uh, like, for instance, we tend to want to prune things so that uh, we can make ourselves acceptable to God. Like, oh, God, you, you must really not like this, so I'm going to get rid of this thing. Or maybe we're trying to prune stuff because there are those bad habits that embarrass us, right? Man, if I could get rid of my tendency to say unprofessional words when someone runs a stoplight from me. That would be, man, that's what I'd really like to fix or whatever it is, right? Or sometimes we really focus on surface issues instead of heart issues, right? If we're left to like try and fix ourselves, we try to fix all the wrong things. We fix things that make us feel better about ourselves. We try to fix things that make us look better to other people. But God, when he does his pruning, he sees the big picture and he loves us just the way we are. He's delighted in us as his children. And now he's like, how can I help you move into this purpose to bear fruit, to, to be free from these sins? And so he starts clipping little places that we may not necessarily do because he's far more patient with us than we are with ourselves. And you may th think that the main thing you need to get rid of is the habit of swearing when someone runs a stoplight in front of you. But maybe there's something much deeper that has to do with just understand that you're loved no matter what words come out of your mouth. For some of us, that's a more important lesson of understanding that we're loved no matter what we say. So this is what I'm learning in my life, is the importance of allowing God to do the pruning and following him and saying, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? Don't let me go run off on my own agenda, but what is it that you're wanting to do in me? For me, it's, it's been this habit of, for many years, the simple prayer, Father, make me into the man you want me to be. It's very open-ended. Because I know he's doing stuff that I can't see. And I'll tell you, it's, it's led me down some crazy paths. I couldn't have projected the path my life would have taken from pastor and all these things to where I am now. But God has always been faithful in answering that prayer. Make me into the man I want, you want me to be. And so that's the first thing. Talking about prayer, about pruning, is my encouragement to you is to be asking God, what is it that you're wanting to do in my life? I know how... I have all this long list of things I want to do, but what's your agenda for me? What are you trying to prune in me? What, what is, it, is it that I need to really understand my relationship with you? Is it that I need to forgive? 
Is it, and the answer is going to be different for every one of us, and it's going to be different from day to day. But to put that responsibility, to give God that responsibility rather than putting it on ourselves. But then there's another part where he says, you have to remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So God's part is pruning. Our part is remaining, or the old-fashioned term was abiding. You maybe heard sermons on abiding. And what does that mean? It's nothing mystical. It just means that you have to remain attached to Jesus. That all of our life, everything in us, all of our, anything good from us flows through us, from Christ through us, to the world. We don't have it in ourselves. When uh, Pastor Sean and I were talking about the sermon, kind of going through this beforehand, he made the point that that's really un-American. You know, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's un-American, Right? We want to do it ourselves. We want to be able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstrap. We, we want to be able to uh, do whatever, you know, be whatever we want to be, but you got to stay attached to Jesus. You can't do anything without him. The fruit that's going to bring joy to the world, the fruit that's going to bless the world, the fruit that's going to glorify God can only come from God. We can't be any more than conduits for God's life. And so what is our job? is to stay attached to the source. God does the pruning, but what can we do? Stay attached to the source. Stay attached to Jesus. And there's some really key ways that we do this. Spending time in his word is massive. Reading the, reading the Bible, finding his truth. That says in the, the passage, he talks about his, your, his, uh, his words remaining in you. Fellowship. Guys, I do, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but if you're not involved in a church, if you're not connected to a church, you can't reach your full potential as a Christian. That's not Sean speaking. This is me speaking. This is my opinion. This is my belief from what I read in Scripture. So don't take this, you know, Sean may say, well, Josh hit that a little too hard, but I'm, I'm not, you know, this, I, I can say that because, you know, I'm not trying to say come to my church. This isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. But unless you're connected to a to through fellowship to a body, I don't think you can be a whole, can really follow Jesus fully. That you can't, you won't be receiving that nourishment that you need to uh, to have the fruit. Prayer, his, the power of the Holy Spirit, all these things are things we need to stay attached to Jesus and to remember all the way along the way that we can't do anything without Him. It's a little humbling, but it's actually kind of cool. Because if all I had to offer the world was was what's in here naturally. The world's in trouble, you know? I mean, if you look at your own life and say, man, if all that I have to give the world is what, what I have in me, uh, I don't know what I can do. But if you can say, all I have to change the world is God working through me, that's not a bad bet. So to put it all together, as children of God, if indeed you are a child of God, and if you're not, hopefully you've gotten this sense that following, being a wholehearted follower of Christ is a great adventure, and it's amazing to have the power of God flowing through you and to, to find meaning in Christ. But if you're a child of God, your glorious purpose is to be conduits of Christ's life, to bear fruit from God, to bear fruit that brings joy, which I could do a whole sermon on joy. Joy is like genuinely like the central theme of the Bible, and joy is awesome, and it's biblical, but I'll move on. To bring fruit that bears joy, that, that brings joy and blesses the world and glorifies God. That's our mission. 
But we can only get that when we submit to God's careful pruning and we remain attached to Christ and his body. So let's just close in prayer. Father, the adventure of living a life in you, of, of being attached to your son and to have your life flowing through us and to bring your, your fruit to the world, it is so cool, it's so wonderful, and it, it brings life to us, brings life to the world, but it does require that we remain in you, that we remain attached, and that we allow you to prune. I pray, Father, you know where each person needs to respond to this sermon. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to each person and talk to them about what point at which they need to, to, to interact with this sermon. That, that is it that they need to really trust you in the pruning process, that they need to connect themselves, to remain in you, to connect to the, the fellowship of the, of the church, to spend time in the Word, to spend time in prayer, to, to welcome your Holy Spirit, just that you guide each and every one of us in this process of becoming, of finding and fulfilling our glorious purpose in you. In your name, amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.